1: an unmatched dual threat.
0: This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey, and today I am not joined, as always, by Brendan. I am joined by the aforementioned Editor-in-Chief of CubsInsider.com and the most frequent guest in Cubs-related podcast history, you know it already, that would be Evan Altman. Evan, a pleasure to have you as always.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's good to be back. I'm sure the uh, the listeners avoid, uh, or I shouldn't say they avoid it, I'm sure they come in droves uh, when Brendan is here as well, but I'm sure they would enjoy hearing a different voice from his, and that is why I am here. His, his very big shoes to fill. Some,
0: not me, we'll call them clown shoes, but... People are saying that I I always like to assume that there's a contingent of our listeners that are very much either on my side or on Brendan's side. That's probably not the case. Uh, but I like to envision that there's a very strict Corey group versus the Brendan group. So apologies to those of you uh, in that latter group. You're, you're going you're gonna to miss out on your, your dear Brendan today, but Evan will do his best to fill that void. But we have an eventful weekend of Cubs baseball to discuss, similar to a lot of the series we've seen uh, over the past couple weeks, a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Uh, we are nearing the trade deadline, so we are recording this on Sunday evening at about six o'clock, excuse me, seven o'clock Chicago time. So uh, keep that in mind. If anything happens after that point or early in the the Monday hours, if it's big enough, Brendan and I would would get back on, or one of us would get back on Monday night to discuss it. I I don't see it being big enough uh, with the moves that we've already seen. We'll discuss those. We'll talk about what happened during this series in Cincinnati with the Reds and. Anything else that that happens to come up, uh, but on the whole, Evan, the, the the Cubs after that series in Detroit, they go to Cincinnati. Uh, they they have some tough pitching matchups from the Reds' perspective in this series. It's a split in four games. They they split the doubleheader. Uh, all told, uh, as, as we sit here on Sunday evening, not the worst place to be, even though certain parts of this series were you know pretty frustrating.
1: Yeah, and, and what was kind of funny, you know, uh, is that the Cubs really dominated in games that they had the toughest pitching matchups, or at least you know historically for them. Again, uh, whether it be a, against uh, two-time 2016 World Series loser Trevor Bauer, uh, who who got to fly the L once again, uh, actually for the first time that he's lost to the Cubs in the regular season, and so I was uh, I was impressed by that. And then I uh, my prediction. For Sunday's game was was quite wrong uh, because they were able to bomb all over Luis Castillo. But um, you know they should have taken three out of four. You, you don't feel good. I, I don't want to call it a moral victory. That's certainly not. But it is nice to get out of Cincy. Uh, the offense we saw kind of kind of awaken. They hit a bunch of home runs. You'd like to see them string a few more things together, but I think there are at least some really positive takeaways in spite of what was uh, kind of some ugly baseball at times.
0: Yeah, I I think, you know, this this weekend in particular was a good embodiment of pretty much what we on this podcast, and I know you at CI and on on your various media uh, appearances that you've got going lately, uh, you know, a lot that we've talked about, you know, this offense obviously has the ability to perform at a high level, as we saw, especially on Sunday. They've got the ability to hit the ball all over the ballpark. And then you might get some games where you're, you know, ready to throw your computer against the wall because they can't get that one hit or a, they have a terrible at bat and a, a situational opportunity and things like that. And you know, you kind of got got all parts of of the Cubs' offense. Uh, and you know, there's there's still some things to to talk about. Javi continues to struggle, continues to look uh, perhaps as as out of it at the at the plate as as we've seen maybe in his whole career. Uh, I've certainly seen some people throwing that around. Uh, Chris Bryant is in South Bend taking some swings. Don't have an exact timetable on that, but that's obviously a positive development. Uh, you know, that he appears to be at least working towards getting back to this lineup when that injury first happened. You know, we really didn't know what that would look like with only, you know, 30 or so games left, so that's good. We'll talk about all that, but before we get into that, uh, again, as a lot of these series have been, you know, with double headers and four games or five games, I'll keep the recap brief, but just want to uh, get some stats out there and some results just to set the table for Evan and I to discuss some things here today. On Friday, it was a 6-5 to loss for of the Cubs. Uh, something about Hendricks on the road, man, and he is just not the same pitcher uh, away from Wrigley Field. I, I'd be curious if if he, you know, to hear him go in depth on that, just the, the intellectual that he is. Uh, but it was six innings, 10 hits, five earned, no walks and six strikeouts, two home runs. Uh, the big blows against Hendricks there on Friday. The Cubs getting their runs in this one. They led this game two to nothing uh, on two first inning solo home runs from Rizzo, his sixth of the year, and Schwarber, his seventh. Uh, not done on on the weekend. Uh, then it was all Reds from there. The Cubs a classic fake rally that would fall one run short uh, in the ninth. Wilson with his fourth of the year and Jason Hayward his third of the year. Jason also not nearly done for the weekend, but that was pretty much the story on Friday. Uh, They had that early lead, and then the offense just sort of disappeared uh, against Tyler Malley. Not specifically, you know, a guy that's, you know, not had a a bad season, but not exactly the guy you want to strike out 11 times against in six and two-thirds. But that was the story on Friday. Again, on Saturday, the Cubs and Reds splitting a doubleheader the first game, uh, the Cubs winning 3 to nothing. the story of that one was Hugh Darvish was better than Trevor Bauer, and what a beautiful, beautiful sentence that is. Uh, we do not like Trevor Bauer on this podcast, and neither should you. And coming into this game, Trevor Bauer had a very minuscule lead in the ERA rankings on Hugh Darvish uh, with, I believe, Freed from the Braves leading the National League. Uh, that was not the case after the game, so that is always fun. Yu Darvish picking up his National League leading sixth win. He goes six innings, seven hits, no earned runs, two walks, and eight strikeouts. He's now got a 1.47 ERA on the season. The Cubs hang three runs on Trevor Bauer in five and a third. Those runs coming off of the bat of Jason Hayward early in this one, an RBI uh, ground out, and then two Anthony Rizzo home runs off of Trevor Bauer that second one we got a nice glimpse after he knew that Rizzo got it Bauer kind of like putting his hand to his head beautiful sight just just really really beautiful uh those homers number 7 and 8 for Tony on the season 3 to nothing Jeffers came in uh for a his fourth save of the year again this is only a 7 inning game so pretty clean from the cubs that's that's pretty much uh, about as as clean of a baseball game as you could ask for On Saturday night, it was a familiar story. Uh, If you are a listener of this podcast, uh, you can imagine how angry I was watching this game unfold, uh, and you know exactly why. But to to get us there, again, only a seven-inning game. Alec Mills started this one three innings, four hits, four earned, one walk, and two strikeouts. Not necessarily uh, the best showing for Alec Mills, but it was all right. Uh, the Cubs getting their runs in this one on the bats of Ian Hap, uh, Homert. Uh, on the, uh, to lead off this game. That made it one to nothing. The Reds would then jump out to a four to one lead. David Bodie would cut it to one. There were some theatrics in this game. Uh, I don't know that we'll really touch on that, but uh, the Reds should be wise that if they throw 96 mile an hour fastballs at people's heads, the other team might not like that very much. Uh, and that seemed to be kind of surprising to the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, and the umpire's just making a complete mess of that situation. But it is what it is. Manager David getting his first ejection as a major league manager. Ian Happ would tie the game, and the Cubs would take the lead on a Nico Horner sack fly in the sixth. Uh, But then the Cubs, manager David ejected. So I believe, I guess it was Mike Napoli pulling the strings, but you never really know how those decisions are made once the manager is ejected. The Cubs opted to bring in Craig Kimbrell to save a one-run game yada, yada, yada. The Cubs lost by a run. So uh, again, you already know it was a doubleheader. We'll get into this probably a little bit when we talk about the bullpen, maybe toward the end. It's a doubleheader. You had used some guys, right? Mills only went three. But in what universe Craig Kimbrell is trusted with save opportunities, I have no idea. But apparently the Cubs are not In that spot yet, so that was a six to five loss. Uh, The Reds had one hit in that bottom of the seventh inning, uh, a bunch of walks and some wild pitches or pass balls, whatever you want to call them, gave them two runs and the win. And then on Sunday, the Cubs outfield goes nuts. Uh, Ian Happ, Jason Hayward, and Kyle Schwarber each hit two home runs, uh, which I believe is the first time in major league history. Uh, that all members of the outfield hit mul- multiple home runs. Uh, and Kyle Schwarber added one in grand fashion. So it was a five RBI day uh, for Kyle Schwarber three. For Ian Happ and two for Jason Hayward. That was pretty much the story here. Uh, We will get into our first topic out of this is going to be Tyler Chatwood exits this game uh, later diagnosed with an elbow issue, which is almost never good. Uh, Certainly not boding well when there's 30 games left and he had just come off the injured list. Uh, So he goes two and a third before exiting this game with the trainer. Also, never good when a guy throws a pitch and immediately calls for the trainer. That usually doesn't bode quite well. Jose Quintana, though, along with Colin Ray, coming in to relieve this. The Cubs bullpen really solid in this one. Tapera, Ryan Underwood Jr. following. Quintana's three innings. Quintana struck out six in those three innings, so I think you can kind of fill in the blanks as to how this is going to go with Chatwit out, but the Cubs doing really nice work against uh, Castillo, the red starter, who went five innings. He gives up four earned and allows three home runs, so that was pretty much the story of the weekend. Again, a split the final on Sunday, 10-1, to Uh, but Evan, let let's let's jump right into the situation with the starters. I think this is a pretty easy one to fill in. You know, we had been wondering what the Cubs might do once Jose Quintana came back when he did come back, you know, in that first in outing and then in this one looked good the velo looks fine he's getting whiffs he his command seems to be pretty good we heard from him after that first outing you know that he obviously has the attitude I would like to be starting games that's what I've been doing for a while that's what I believe my role should be and you know unfortunately it comes by way of injury to Tyler Chatwood but a a pretty clear path for the Cubs going forward to just slot Jose Quintana back into this rotation.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's what it looks like, and and it's they've really suffered from such bad timing, you know, with Quintana getting hurt in the first place, which kind of opened the door for Mills, who then has you know he, he's made a few mistakes, but he's been solid by and large, and I think the the thing with with Chatwood is he just looks so odd the last couple starts prior to this one, and and you know got out to a a good I guess you know a little while, and this one is hard to say, you know would he have would he have continued pitching well, but. When you spike one ten feet short of the plate, and then you come up, uh, you know, saying your elbows messed up, that's never a good thing. Uh, but Quintana's looked good. He's looked a lot better, actually, than I thought he would uh, coming out. I'm I'm questioning how stretched out he really is. But if they do the smart thing and actually let Adbert Alzali pitch a little bit more, and whether you kind of piggyback him or have him as maybe an opener for Quintana, however you choose to do that. It, it does – you don't You don't want to see, as you mentioned, you don't want to see things kind of come to clarity because of an injury. But if Chatwood is is not in the picture, uh, even for a short period of time, and he's obviously he just on the IL for a little while anyway, they've got enough depth there, or at least it looks like they do now, uh, to kind of weather that. So it does look like there's a little more clarity to it. You'd rather see them maybe have a little bit more kind of coming up behind. But if they finally start to trust some of their young guys – that might be kind of nice too.
0: Yeah. So Quintana throwing 61 pitches in those three innings on Sunday. So not really sure when he's going to be able to, you know, get towards 80, 90, 100, or, or whatever they'd be looking at. But it, again, it, firstly, you you feel bad for Chatwood who had worked himself back, you know, from obviously a disastrous start to his Cubs career, found a, a nice little spot in that, that bullpen role in the 2019 season, and then came out of the gate here in 2020, just electric, really showing why the Cubs signed him, why they believed in that elite spin rate stuff, and, and what they could turn it into. And, you know, you really saw that high ceiling that, that we were talking about when they first signed him, and throughout this process of, you know, why they still believed in him, because there there was obviously something there in the stuff and it's it's just a shame clearly you know that back injury derailed that and then obviously uh, another one here with the elbow we'll see the severity of that um you know in the coming days probably but also a contract year for him so uh yeah just just uh, an unfortunate way that this has has played out but from the Cubs perspective you know, again, uh, Quintana has has never been a favorite, uh, in particular of Brendan. Just uh, he's just not a big fan of of two pitch guys. And uh, some of the times that we've seen Q really focus on kind of like nibbling those edges of the strike zone, You kind of almost like afraid to really like attack hitters with his stuff. Um, but one thing that I think, especially coming off an injury and just with the tumultuous nature of of the Cubs pitching staff especially the bullpen and just everything so far in 2020 outside of a a handful of guys what i think is is really nice about getting someone like quintana back and we'll see when he's able to be at full strength or when he's able to throw closer to 100 pitches but he's a he's a, a guy you look at for stability right like you you know you can count on him to go out there he can eat those innings he can you know uh, again when he gets up to full strength he can throw those pitches you can rely on him to just sort of be a stable presence it, it you know you never really he's going to have good starts he's going to have some clunkers right if they, if he's not able to locate that fastball if he hangs that curveball but it's, it's nice to be able to bring somebody back to the rotation that you can kind of just count on like okay you know what like this this isn't a young guy this isn't an old guy that we're hoping is getting back to form from three years ago or something like that like this is a stable presence that we can just immediately slot back in there and you know kind of just like it's he's you know, been a stable piece in this rotation for years it's almost just like getting back to normal so it's it's not the worst place to be but kind of to your point Evan bringing up uh Al-Zali, which i i thought it was alzali but i I honestly i feel like when i listen to pat or when i listen to Lennon jd or taylor it feels like the pronunciation changes all the time um so i i'm I'm gonna stick with alzali but if that's wrong i apologize so he's optioned back down after the doubleheader on saturday and you know i think he's he's one of those guys who it's it's a little curious when you when you're looking at some of this stuff given the way that some of these bullpen arms have performed and and the the rapid nature with which we've seen some of them come up and come down it's it's a little confusing at the very least as to why adbears not just sticking with this team he's been good in the outings that he's had the opportunity to have in 2020 And I I mean, I guess I'm, I know you're probably just as confused as I am, but I'm just posing the question to you. Doesn't it make more sense? You've got a young guy, you've got a guy that's been in your system for a while. He's, he's performing well in the spots that, that you're looking for. You're in particular in some of these outings looking for guys that can piggyback and give you that length. Why is he not just sticking with this team? Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFL NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE.
1: Yeah, I, I am at a loss on that one. And I, I mean, I can only assume that if, if Chatwood hits the I.L. again, that maybe that opens that spot back for Alzali to come up. And I know, you know, part of it's all procedural. You get a 29th man for the, for the doubleheader stuff. And that's why he's there. But if we look at some of these guys, you know, I, I know, you know, Jason Adam has had a, a couple of decent outings here and there, uh, you know, and he's he's kind of gone back and forth a little bit, right? There's there's a few other guys. Ryan Tapera has come up and kind of established himself, but we really have. I mean, I, I don't trust Dan Winkler out there, yeah, right? Um, you know, he's he just there's too many walks, there's too many things that are, and you're not talking about a guy who's there to give you much length and depth. And if you do have Quintana having to come in, especially not really trusting the length that he can provide, having somebody else who gives you multiple innings is really important. The Cubs don't have many of those guys. And and really, there's a few, I mean, I don't trust Kyle Ryan right now. Uh there's there's a few guys I don't. And it's what what's baffling to me, I guess beyond just this one pitcher, is that we've heard from this organization, I mean we've seen time and time again the trouble that they've had developing pitchers. Right. And and here's a guy who By all accounts, they've developed who's come up, who's pitched. Well, you know, he's had a couple stinkers. Uh, You know, he got shelled, I think, by the Pirates last year, and and that really kind of messed up his line. But he's got really good stuff, and it plays up a little bit coming out of the pen. But in general, again, we've seen them have trouble developing pitchers. They've said publicly, uh, this was at the 2019 Cubs convention, hey, guys, yeah, you know, our bad. We were really too conservative with developing pitchers. We're going to get more aggressive. You know, we're going to let these guys develop at their own pace. We're not going to try to hold them back. And then we heard this year at Cubs convention that, um, you know, again, they had finally, which was kind of a shocking uh, uh, admission to me, that they were finally working on individualized pitching plans, pitching development plans for these guys rather than like a blanket. And I'm thinking that was pretty dumb. Like, how were you not already doing that? Like I was – Kind of shocked by that. But anyway, uh, they had said that would be the case. They went with, you know, were very pitching heavy in the draft. We saw them get a guy like Burl Caraway, who the thought at the time was, this guy might be able to help him at the major league level almost right away. Right. And they've remained reluctant to lean on these guys. And, and I'm not saying Tyson Miller should be up here starting a bunch of games, but you call up Justin Steele. He sits around, does nothing for a couple days. You option him back. You call up Alzalai as the 29th man. He pitches. You send him back. He only gets one inning in a game the other day, right? Like why – if you have a guy who's capable of giving you those innings, why not use him for that? I, I, I just – the the lack – If and if you're not going to use those guys, again, I get it that that being at South Bend you get a, a closer eye on their development. But if you're not going to use them and you have no intention of using them at the major league level to provide you additional depth – why bother having them at South Bend in the first place? Send a scout out there to check on them, and get in their pitching plans, and make sure they send you videos and monitor them that way. I just, I, I am. It is inexplicable to me. There's a few things about this organization right now. Yeah. This is one of them. I, I don't get it. The pitching has been a problem. The bullpen has been a problem for years, and they do not seem to want to. They seem to want to address it with band-aids. Uh, you know, again, acquired by, and, and granted, Tapera has been good. But they're getting these guys on minor league deals, picking them up on the cheap instead of leaning to their own guys. I mean, if you're going to ride or die with somebody, why not somebody who's in your organization who will be there next year and the year after and the year after that, you know, you can lean on that, uh, you know, rather than some dude that you picked up because you could get him on a minor league deal. I It's, it's baffling to me. I hate it. And it's one of those things that has been driving me crazy for the last few years.
0: Yeah, this is this is certainly not a a new trend. I mean, and and there's been successes as much as there's been failures. But I I mean, I don't even think we need to go through the list of some of the guys that have come out of this bullpen. You know that they've they've found on the bargain heap, uh, and the the options from the minor league level have have you know varied in, in year to year. But. It, it does just get a little curious. It it, it the the pitching, especially with Alzai in particular, is one where you you wonder. We know, right? Like we're we tr- you and I, you especially try to be as in tune with this organization and, and reading everything and following the beat writers and trying to be as knowledgeable as we can about what's out there. But there's always going to be stuff that you don't know, right? We're not in the front office but this is one of those spots where it's like, I know there's stuff that maybe we don't know, but I really don't get what that would be to explain some of these decisions. And we'll get into some that are on the offensive side later, but just the the, the constant shuttling of Adbert just seems very weird. And that's not to suggest like, oh, it's a no-brainer. He's a lights-out reliever, right? Like you mentioned, Devin, he, he struggled in some of his MLB outings, but it, it it just is one of those areas where you're just like, are we missing something? Like, what are we looking at? And and it's it's not specifically to like rag on Dan Winkler in particular. He's just the name I think that comes to mind the easiest. But like, he gets the repeated spots, but some of these other guys don't. I, I'm just I I feel like there's something that they're that we're missing, but I don't know what that would be. Right. And you also wonder from the outside – and again, they they would have a better read on this than I would, uh, but it doesn't mean they couldn't get it wrong – I would start to worry at a a certain point that a guy like Adbear is going to get frustrated with the way that he's being – treated you know and and getting the the spots is nice but you know constantly being a guy who only comes up when there's a double header when you feel like you're putting in the work you feel like you're making the strides and at least so far in 2020 you are quite literally performing you know you got to be careful with some of that stuff especially with young guys you know they, they they you you run the risk of these guys starting to feel like well what do you want me to do uh, to get the opportunity here, you know, and and it's certainly not an exact comparison. but like some of these guys, I'm sure they're watching Kimberl go out there and blow a bunch of games, you know, and they're like, okay, well, like, I don't know what I have to do to get a shot here, but I feel like i'm I'm earning that, but, We'll have to see. Uh, like you said, uh, with with Chatwood maybe hitting the IL here, Quintana maybe jumping back in the rotation. Uh, we will see how they decide to approach this uh, going forward. As as far as the the rest of the pitching staff goes for the weekend, um, you know, obviously Yu Darvish is out of control. Uh, I don't think I need to tell you guys about that the the stretch that he is on dating back to 2019 is is really really amazing and and Brendan and I talk about this a lot you know just in terms of how he's a guy who you're so happy to see doing this stuff um, and and just the work that he's put in and, and a lot of the trash that he's dealt with In terms of his reputation when leaving the Dodgers, you know, even though the Astros were cheating, et cetera, et cetera, right? And and how he started his Cubs career with the injuries, uh, and some of the talking heads in Chicago's uh, opinions of him Uh, again we don't mention those people by name but you know who I'm talking about Uh, but I do just want to read one Darvish uh, note from friend of the podcast Jordan Bastian who pointed out that his in his last 20 starts dating back to the second half of 2019 you is sporting a 2.31 ERA opposing hitters putting up a slash line of 207 242 354 And he has 170 strikeouts to 15 walks in those 124 and two-thirds innings. That is lights-out stuff. That is the stuff that the Cubs signed him for. And right now, uh, I have no idea how people would vote. I don't know if he would be the favorite. Uh, But he is a top two, top three candidate for the National League Cy Young. Uh, right now, he leads the NL and wins. He's behind only uh, Max Fried of the Braves in earn run average. As I just mentioned, you can tell his K to walk ratio is out of control. This is, it's all coming together for him. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, the, the only other thing I, I would ask, uh, and I and i don't know, you know, and, and maybe Adbear is one of those guys, uh, but I, I would be curious your thoughts on Mills in particular. Evan uh just because, you know, he's he's he fluctuates a bit and uh, you know, only goes three innings in, in that one game in the double header on Saturday. Uh I'm not looking to to pull him from the the rotation, uh, but I, I'm just curious your thoughts on his his leash or his hold on on one of those rotation spots because you know we we saw him really start out strong uh, and there have been you know a couple of clunkers in there recently uh, surrounded with some other good outings just just curious where your where your
1: your vision on him is yeah it, you know it's an interesting one because I think it, especially in that in that Milwaukee game where he was really cruising I mean he looked great that's the best he's looked. You know, I think career high seven strikeouts or at least uh, high with the Cubs. And then, you know, he hangs a change up to Yelich and the, the game immediately shifts. And then he comes out the next game and immediately gives up a grand slam in the in the first inning there to Matt Carpenter of all people. And, you know, we said we saw him get roughed up a little bit in Cincinnati. You know, he served up a couple. He, he's kind of one of those guys where, again, he's he's like Hendricks in that he rarely throws above 90, you know, and, and so he does rely on hitting his spots. And so forth, and and as we've seen with Hendricks, uh, particularly the two games in Cincinnati, that if he's missing his spots by just a little bit, those guys can't afford. You know, when you're not throwing ninety eight, you need to hit it, and and missing by an inch or a half an inch can be all the difference between soft contact and, and a line drive that leaves a yard. And and I think that's that's one of the issues with Mills. Again, I I like him as kind of a he's still a pretty steady guy in the rotation, especially with with Chatwood being out. You know, I do wonder, though, if if something changes, whether it be the Chatwoods deal really isn't that bad, although, you know, again, anytime you talk elbow, boy, it sure seems destined for an IL stint. Um, but if Alzali says, hey, kid, we're going to give you— I don't think they trust him for a rotation spot at this point, so I think that's Mills to, to keep. But I do kind of wonder if he's that guy who's maybe better served. Like I felt for a long time, like Mike Montgomery— was a much better option out of the bullpen because when he was coming out of the pen, his stuff played up a little higher. You know, the curveball was really good. The velocity was up a little bit more. And you could have him as a guy who could maybe, you know, get through a couple of innings, maybe not face a lineup a second time. And that's kind of what I wonder with Mills. Is he maybe one of those guys who, you know, this is not really the guy you want going through the lineup that second time? Uh, they all see him that once. And and that slow curve that he's got really plays up well provided he's not making those mistakes. I, I you know again I think they're in kind of a tough spot but um, I would like to see him string together a couple of better starts without you know there's only so many times you can kind of excuse oh you know just a couple little mistakes but when those mistakes get knocked out of the yard it, you know again your margin for error is so much slimmer at that point it's not like he's giving up five little dinkly hits right. they're they're pretty he's getting tagged um but yeah, I I don't really know where I see him. I th- I think he stays in rotation almost out of necessity at this point. But uh, there there are worse options they could have. But I, I do think he'd play really well out of the bullpen as well. So maybe playoff time that that works out.
0: Yeah. So obviously there there's not that many starts left, and it's it's hard to know how much you put in this because especially if you know if Hendricks is on, if a guy like John Lester has his command, if Mills has his command, etc. I don't know how much this is really a thing, but I, I do start to wonder, at least just in the abstract, now that you are not going to have Chatwood, if you do put Quintana back in there, you've got one guy in that rotation that throws hard. Isn't inherently a problem, but in four of the five starts, basically, and obviously to different degrees, I say this all the time, but when you group players together, it's you know obviously Kyle Hendricks is in a different spot than some of these other guys, right? Uh, but you are going to have four of the five guys, you know, that, that pretty much make their living on really needing to avoid making mistakes and having that pre- precision command that avoids those balls, you know, sort of leaking over the middle and, and into those barrels. So not necessarily something that is is bad. If the guys are on, then it doesn't really matter. Um, but that's that's some similar profiles to a degree in in four of the five starters. I think one of the nice things about Chatwood uh, aside, I mean, obviously he was great in those first two outings, so that's nice just in a, in a vacuum. But one of the the nice things was that he was another guy that was able to bring you something similar in a sense to what Darvish was doing. He was able to bring you you know pump velocity and spin stuff all over the place right and you know now you're kind of relying on you know four other guys who it's it's slower stuff and it's really about that command being there so again not inherently a bad thing but just one of those things where you know you might have a stretch where if all four of them don't have that command it you know again to varying degrees it it's a tricky spot. You, you know, you, you have to hope they get away with some stuff, right? So uh, that's that's where the pitching is. Again, a worst place to be. I mean, I think especially when you deal with an injury uh, to Chatwood, when you're able to slot in someone like Jose Quintana, who was, you know, making his way back anyway, it, it certainly softens the blow. I mean, that's a pretty easy transition to make. Uh, Q was a guy who you were bookmarking for the rotation anyway. So I think there's obviously worse places to be. But uh, switching to the offense, uh, we do have a trade to note. Uh, the Cubs acquiring Jose Martinez from the Rays uh, for a player to be named later. Now, that is a name you may remember uh, from the St. Louis Cardinals, his time with the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, I don't really have a lot to say on this. I, I'm, I'm not sure you do either, Evan. Uh, really, all I would say is they needed somebody to come in and hit lefties, uh, you know, and probably be the DH there. And that is what Jose Martinez has done in his career: is hit lefties. So that's pretty much uh, the the logic there. I, I wouldn't expect to see him do much else besides that. And uh, you know that's that's really what you're looking for. But just looking at these numbers uh, from Mark Gonzalez, he points out that in his career against left-handed pitching, Jose Martinez is a 319 hit. 19 hitter with a 392 on base percentage and a total of a 946 OPS against lefties. And if you're looking at the Cubs numbers in particular uh, against left handed pitching, 208, 333 slugging and a 659 OPS versus lefties. So that is uh, pretty much the logic there. It's pretty simple. I, I think this is uh, perhaps a trade that isn't made if if guys uh, like Fegley and Albert Almora were doing what you were hoping they were going to do. But this is one of the early moves. Again, if there are more moves and they're significant, Brendan and I will get back and talk on it. Otherwise we'll recap them uh, after the series with the Pirates. But any anything else to add on Martinez or is it it's pretty cut and dry there?
1: Yeah, I mean I I think it's it's gotta be pretty cut and dry, right? You bring him in, Fegley served no purpose anymore. Uh, now you've got a guy who's pretty much going to serve as the DH because he's a defensive liability. Although, uh, certainly, you know, with guys like Steven Seuss Jr. Coming back, uh, w- w- so we think, uh, Chris Bryant, hopefully coming back soon. You know, I don't, I don't really know how many spots there are in the lineup. It, it's a little bit of an odd pickup to me because I, I think, I mean, this isn't like a, a rental contract, so to speak, unless they're going to end up trying to flip him somehow, you know, next year. Cause I think he's. Yeah, he's arbitration eligible next year again, and he's not a free agent till 2023. But he does, I, I think he has a couple options left. So uh, there's a little flexibility there. It's it's kind of one of those moves that it doesn't, uh, really doesn't do anything for me. I don't see how it really helps the Cubs all that much. But uh, I guess it improves their their batting uh, more than what Fegley was giving them. So there's that.
0: Yeah, I think it's just, you know, you're hoping he can tap into those career numbers against lefties, and that's pretty much it. If it's not working, it's not working. Uh, But, you know, throw him in there against some lefties and and see what happens there. Uh, But yeah, really, I mean, this is a move that's just brought on. Uh, Fegley wasn't doing it. Elmora's not doing it uh and even Victor Caratini has has started to struggle here uh you know against righties he's got a 655 OPS against lefties he's got a 611 OPS so uh while we wait you know again not really sure of the timeline on either KB or Souza you know, just looking for somebody to be able to slot in there uh, against left-handed pitchers in the, in that DH spot and actually get the job done. Uh, so I think that's that's really the onus for this one. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's pretty much the deal. So we'll, we'll we'll get back to some of those offensive guys in a second. But I, I want to highlight someone. We've talked a lot about Ian Happ. He continues to do really well, and I think the the main important thing with Ian Happ is that he has basically showed no signs of slowing down or changing anything since moving to the leadoff spot, which I think is a really exciting development as we've not seen that work uh, for basically everybody else that they've tried to do that with. Rizzo's had some success there, uh, but the greatest leadoff hitter of all time, obviously. But, you know, we've seen a, a litany of guys move there after showing some signs of progress and then it all going away once they start to lead leadoff. So I think very exciting that Ian Happ has moved there, still hitting bombs, still taking walks, still putting up you know monster offensive numbers here. So that's great. We've talked about that. We've talked about a lot of these other guys, but have to highlight what Jason Hayward is doing. Um, so I, I want to read... Two slash lines to you Evan and if you've been on Twitter today I mean, you probably know this but uh, I'm going to read two slash lines to you and I just I, I want you to tell me which one is Jason Hayward and who you think the other person is uh, So the first slash line is a 286 batting average a 402 on base percentage a 560 slugging percentage good for a 157 WRC plus the second slash line a 277 batting average 369 on base percentage 622 slugging percentage good for a 156 wrc plus so the one wrc plus just one off uh, again 100 being league average so both of these players well above one of them is jason hayward is it a or b and who is the other one uh the first one is jason hayward that's correct and and let's just go Bryce Harper on the second. No, the second one is Mike Trout. So right now I see I was going to say Trout, but I felt like his batting average was higher than that. Bryce Harper is is has himself in contention for the National League MVP at the moment with the Phillies, so that is is not a bad guess. Uh, but right now Jason Hayward has a higher weighted on base average and a higher WRC plus than Mike Trout. He is also getting on base at a higher clip than Mike Trout. Uh, There's nothing really to point out other than this is awesome. Uh, This is, you know, again, we have, especially over at Cubs Insider, I mean, I don't don't even want to know how many articles you've written about Jason Hayward's swing over the last few years, Evan, but uh, I know I've edited a, a ton of video about it, so uh, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, again, it's it's we're only 102 plate appearances uh, here into the season for Jason Hayward. It's a short season, but it, it's always good when guys you know, similar to, to Darvish and similar to these other guys, guys that have, have gone through a lot of ups and downs with their performance and with their career, you know, especially relative to when people always are bringing up the contract and things like that. Um, it's it's really good to see him getting those results. We know what he's going to bring on defense. He's he's still out there making diving catches and making taking those great routes uh, and, and being the right fielder that we know that he is. Uh, but just to see him having this success at the plate, and and in addition to those numbers, uh, you know, right now he's got five home runs, and I and I read the slash line, but right now his his walk rate and his K rate are identical at fifteen point seven percent. I mean, this is a really really good performance from Jason Hayward. I mean, obviously, I'm comparing him to literally Mike Trout in in in, in this segment, uh, but this is this is huge, and especially when you look at you've got no KB. Uh Javi is struggling mightily. We've seen, you know, Wilson struggle a, a good bit in, in this recent stretch here. Hayward's picking these guys up and you know this is 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 not necessarily a place that that we have looked at for offensive production. Like this, uh, but not only is it is it great to see Hayward doing it given the the, the battles that he's gone through in his Cubs career. It, it's great to see him doing it, knowing what he's going through with with everything going on in the world right now, and and especially coming off of that that Tiger series, the the sort of weight that he's carrying. Um, but it's it's also huge for this team at this moment. They they needed some of these other guys to step up when some of the guys you came into the season expecting to carry this offense are not doing that. This is a a massive performance by Jason Hayward highlighted again, as we mentioned by a two homer game on
1: Sunday. Yeah. And, and the thing, you know, and I, and I totally understand There's and there's a lot of people I think who, who don't give him enough credit or who haven't because, you know, they felt like he was supposed to have come to Chicago and started hitting 30 home runs a year and, and, you know, batting 300 and and everything. And it's, you know, while, while the Cubs thought he had a lot more in him offensively than, than what he had shown early on, um, you know, they didn't pay him that giant contract to be the number three or four slugger in the order. That's, that's not what he is, but what's really interesting. And again, you mentioned the swing and it looks so much smoother I mean, he had – I don't know how many times he would just cross-lock those hands. And and Brendan's written about this. I've written about this. Um, people – I mean, people have been writing about this since his days in Atlanta. He's a tinkerer with that swing. He's a duck and dive. He, he dips his shoulder into it. It's a funky-looking swing. He looks like he's trying to wring water out of a towel when he's just the way he's working that bat. And he just – it does—it didn't look comfortable. And, and I don't know um, – you know, this could be – me trying to attribute different things to it. I don't know if this is the case, but when I've seen him and you look at the sides of, of kind of what he reveals to people, whether it be on social media or if you look at it, and, and one thing, I didn't mention this, I tweeted a few things, and, and I really think he's in a place now where I think he's more comfortable truly being himself on a, on a more public level. And I don't want to say that that's the reason why he's hitting better, but we see things It's it's with little things, right? Like he's made some very public donations uh, to various social justice causes. Obviously, he sat out the game on Wednesday. You know, but one other thing that I look to when i when I see him, I remember a couple of years ago, I think he got his first tattoo. um it was it was fairly recent. Now he's got like full sleeves. Like he's got a bunch. and and I, I know that sounds weird, but as someone who's who's got a bunch of tattoos, Like there's, there's a form of expression there. There's something that says I'm comfortable enough in my body. This is something, this is a way I want to express myself. And, and I don't know, to me, he just looks and he's got the pictures of his puppies all the time. He just looks like a dude who's happier and more content and who is willing to step out and be confident in himself. And, and as a result, he just looks different at the plate. His swing looks smoother. You see the stills of it. I mean, it, it the front leg is strong, the back leg's driving through, the swing plane is better. It's not this choppy, you know, the the joke about him uh, hitting the second base, He's just ground balls there all the time. He's lifting it, but everything looks better. And and so I'm not basing it. A lot of people are looking at his performance and saying, I'm this is an aberration. I don't like those numbers. I'm not talking about his numbers. This is a guy who whose process from top to bottom looks better. And the results are a function of that rather than saying he's fluking into a lot of this stuff because his Babbitt is still only 297. This is not a guy who's getting a ton of just pure luck. And uh, and I really think he's he's created a lot of this for himself. Does it sustain at this level? Probably not. But I think we're seeing a different Jason Hayward all the way around than what we've seen before. And, and I love it. It's awesome. And I feel great for him as a result because he's a really good dude. And, and he deserves this after all the crap he's put up with for the last few years.
0: You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. After we record this episode, I'm going to kick back, watch some Sunday Night Baseball, and order from one of my favorite local spots on DoorDash. yeah and I think even earlier in the season a lot of the if you look at those expected batted ball numbers and expected batting average and things like that those numbers pointed to uh you know him maybe even getting a little bit unlucky a couple of the Cubs fit that bill um you know so it's it's performance that maybe even could look even better if if you know not for maybe some of those early numbers so yeah it's it's all around uh you you just have to love it I I mean I I think I you know, I. you certainly see plenty of people that have been frustrated with with Jason Hayward over the years perhaps like you mentioned because they just had the wrong expectations of it Uh, but uh, if you have trouble rooting for Jason Hayward or being happy for him uh, having this level of success I I don't know where that comes from because he's he's got to be one of the easiest players to root for that that I've seen you know maybe in my lifetime on the Cubs like you just want this guy to succeed he's just that kind of guy so so this is great to see, and again, it's it's a very important offensive performance uh, for the Cubs, which is something that we can transition to. Uh, running a, a little long here, so maybe we'll keep some of this brief. I I don't ha- I I don't have anything to add um, on you know someone like Javi. I, I think again, like clearly something is just not right with him we haven't heard anything about an injury and you know it's possible that he's just in his own head and and overthinking things Um, but we continue to see just some of those weird at bats where he's chasing pitches and then almost in a in a predetermined fashion letting pitches go right down the pipe whether it's a fastball or a breaking ball That he's just opted not to swing at, so it results in a in a looking strikeout at a pitch that you're just sort of confused as a viewer as to why he wasn't swinging at. Um, He just looks off. I I don't have an answer for it. You know, we heard from him, uh, you know, talking about how he's obviously not trying to stink. This is obviously not fun for him, uh, and and how he envisioned himself hitting. I don't. I don't have an answer for you. Um, I'm going to repeatedly bound. Bang the drum that you, you gotta stop hitting him third. I I know that, you know, moving Javi down and and even having this conversation about Javi is is not where any of us want to be, and none of this has to be looked at. As you know, dragging Javi or you know anything like that, but yeah, it, it the production just is not there from the three hole, and it and it needs to be. We're over halfway through this season, not a lot of runway left. The Cubs are in a division where, uh, you you know, winning it. I don't know how big the importance is, but. there's other teams threatening, right? Even if the rest of the division isn't that good there, you know, you don't have all of these teams buried just yet. So I, I think you, you have to make a move there. Um, at least until he starts to look like himself. And, and it really might just be something where it, it takes a couple games for him to kind of like just snap back into uh, El Mago and, and, and be back in that right mindset or whatever it is. But uh, that's my two cents on that. But really what I want to uh, seed the floor here to, uh, to Evan here for, and why I'm, I'm particularly glad that if Brendan had to miss an episode, it was this one, is to let Evan uh, have a space to rant a little bit about almora and ian miller in particular um if you listen to this podcast or follow me on twitter or or have spoken to me in real life for the last couple years i don't need to reaffirm my stance on albert almora as a baseball player right i want to make that clear if i by all intents a, a really great guy um great teammate, someone who has provided huge moments for this team over the years. Uh, but as a player, I don't think I need to clear up my feelings on that. But just to sort of put put the numbers to it at least a little bit, um, it's limited chances, but that's a deserved situation and also because of how good Ian Happ is doing, I um, but right now he's got uh, a 465 OPS, which is good for a 35 WRC plus, uh, which I believe would be worse than what John Lester has put up in certain seasons. I think John might have done a 47 in 2018 or 2019. So uh, now John is a great hitter. So you're going to have to balance what I'm saying here, but you get the point. Um, but but what it really comes down to, Evan, is. A, the defensive metrics have not liked Almora as much in the last couple years as they did in the beginning of his career. A common defense for Almora is that he's an elite defender. Well, the metrics don't think that anymore. Uh, so if your eye thinks that, that's one thing, but the the stuff that teams are using to measure this stuff do not see him as that anymore. And the bat has not been there for years. This would be the third straight season where he's you know pretty significantly below league average as a hitter and a a lot of it too everybody has bad at bats in situational spots nobody on this team is immune to that right but that at bat in the game in the second game on saturday is a mess a complete mess he shouldn't have been taking it because it was against a right-handed pitcher uh but runner on third less than two outs you need the insurance runs he goes for the bunt foul and then he strikes out on two pitches that are in the other batter's box, just isn't going to cut it. That, that's, that's really what it is, and it, it's, it's a huge question of what on earth is he providing to this team right now that anybody else couldn't provide and certainly couldn't provide something else. So with that, uh, I know you have some strong opinions on this particular issue, Evan. I will uh, let you have the floor
1: here yeah so oh where do I even go with this um it, it, and it sucks because I feel like I I was kind of an Almora champion early on um and, and I really felt like all he had to do was be something approaching a league average hitter slightly below league average even because he can play really good defense and center and you don't need your center fielder to bang and to be your offensive centerpiece. That's not a necessity. However, you know, as we saw, and, and I do maintain, and, and granted he had he had certainly been kind of on a downward trend and, and has been, honestly, for years, um, ever since 2017, really. And, but I, I still think that foul ball in Houston did something to his psyche uh, and, and just, and you know, made him, it just, it, it affected him. And and we're talking a long time ago. That was May 29th of last year, well over a year at this point. Uh, but it 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 did. It, I don't know if it just ruined his confidence or or what it was, but that set him on a on a steeper downward trend. So we're looking at a guy who, after a 104 WRC plus, so he's about four percent above a league average hitter. That's all you needed him to live at. That's what he had. He had he was a 101 in very limited action in 2016, 104 in 2017. Like okay upward trend but then it goes to 89 in 18 64 in 19 and as you mentioned 35 this year he brings now and, and here's the thing his value would still be somewhat acceptable because he is a, he's a good defender above average defensive player in center field however that's mitigated by the fact that Ian Happ has taken over as the everyday center fielder and because he's a switch hitter and he's doing well enough against both sides, there's no need to platoon Almora because you don't want to give Almora regular at bats anyway. So if you can't give Almora regular at bats, which you shouldn't because he can't hit, and he's not going to get enough room. Now, what's really what baffles me and what's really pissing me off this year, Corey, is that we're constantly seeing Almora being used as a pinch runner for Kyle Schwarber. Right. This happens several times. Almora is actually slower than Schwarber. Almora has a career negative 5.5 base running runs uh that's that's a a fan graphs measure now schwarber isn't uh you know some speedster but he at least has a plus 0.4 right he's he's at least an overall you know really really just a a net zero base runner he's not going to gain you runs he's not going to lose your runs albert amore is a bad base runner and i feel like david ross is living off of the one play when Almora tagged up and got to second base in the World Series. I think Ross looks at that and thinks that's who Albert Almora, but it's not. Almora's not fast. He's an okay defender, but they have a man. So Almora's got four career stolen bases. He brings you nothing on the bases. He's actually worse than Schwarber. As I mentioned, when they have someone in Ian Miller who is a noted speedster. That's why they picked him up. Miller would be capable of laying down a bunt and beating it out. Or if he hits a little number or a bleeder, beating it out and then stealing third or uh, going first to third on a single Uh, scoring on a double scoring from second on a single being the runner that you move in. uh, If you go into extra innings that you, you pinch run him, uh, pinch hit him for the guy who, who got out, substitute him, put him out in center field. He may not be as good a defender as Elmora, but he's faster. And I will guarantee you this, if we're only talking about one or two innings at a time, I guarantee the limited sample will completely mitigate any difference. Mora, the, the difference is not significant in defense over that short a period if we're only talking about a, a replacement. And I just, the fact that they're, even absent Ian Miller's presence in the organization, even if Miller's not there. I don't understand. Uh, Albert Almora over the last two seasons has provided negative value to the organization. There is, and I like him as an individual. I think he's a good dude, but I don't, the only thing, the only thing I can see is that the Cubs have an emotional tie to him as their original draft pick with the team, but I really think they're, they're not doing themselves a favor they're they're doing him a disservice too because i really think i think some of this is mental and i think he's a guy who maybe if given a chance with another team to kind of change things up and to get out of the funk that he's in with a different set of circumstances might be able to flourish or at least be better than what he is so they're doing him a disservice it makes no sense that he is on this roster right now it is a it is an anchor on the roster in general and they're wasting a spot in this small short season in which all these little advantages need to be taken, you know. Again, they they went out and got uh, Jose Martinez, and they they got rid of Fegley. They made that move in a heartbeat. How can you not bring in Miller over Almora? I don't understand it. It's bothering the hell out of me because that's the whole point with Miller. And Almora brings nothing right now, and they're not even using him correctly in the role that they have him. So I, I I'm at a loss. It pisses me off. I, this is not. I, I'm knocking. It sounds like I'm knocking Almora. I'm not. I'm knocking the front office and I'm knocking David Ross because I think those entities have absolutely botched this whole situation and, and there's no reason for him to be there, but the front office keeps trying to run him out there as if something's magically going to change and it's not. It's just going to keep getting worse and, and it pisses me off to no end.
0: Yeah, I mean, I you, know, you, you and I are, are certainly in lockstep on this and I think we have been for quite some time. I, I think you, you really hit the nail – on the head, I, I, I don't know how much I believe this, right? Like, I don't really believe that if he went to a, I, I he just hasn't made a lot of the adjustments that he needs to make for me to have any confidence that even with, uh, more regular playing time. Now, I'd also like to point out, cause that's, a, that's a common thread with him. Like he needs more playing time. He needs everything. Like, 2017 to 2019, he got at least 320 plate appearances. In all of those seasons, he appeared in at least 130 games. In all of those seasons, so there, I'm not sure how willing I am to like lean into that because at some point you have to earn getting like 400, 500, 600 plate appearances. It's not everybody that gets that opportunity. He got a pretty fair shake in, in my opinion. Um, but like, like you're saying even if you believed that 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 he can be a good contact hitter especially against left-handed pitching or anything like that you don't have the spot for that right now right like you just don't we just read off Jason Hayward's numbers you know what he's bringing you in the field he is an elite defender right uh and he's hitting and you you know what Schwarber's capable of and you saw that especially on Sunday and Ian Happ right now is the best player on your team just from a numbers perspective not you know maybe not like in a literal sense but right now so there's not a spot for that you don't have the opportunity even if you wanted to to give him the the chance to work through stuff or make adjustments and so the the point that that I'd really like to hammer that you brought up, Evan, is where that leads you is now you have a guy on the bench who you, in a 60 game season you are not maximizing your bench. You have a guy on the bench who's not bringing you anything, right? So when you have these pinch hit spots or you have these late inning spots where you want to to bring somebody in, you don't have somebody. You're using that roster spot on someone who at this point maybe is an above average fielder, right? I don't, I don't know. The, the, the metrics don't like him that much (laughs) anymore. Um, and you know, you know, he's not fast, uh, and he's not hitting. So you're using this roster spot. Maybe, maybe if you believe it on someone who could get it going, if he got you know, more opportunities or a change of scenery, whatever, right? We heard about his swing change. It all looks the same to me, right? So I don't buy it. But even if that was what your belief was, you don't have the ability to provide that. So instead, you're just holding on to dead weight on the roster. And you moved on from Fegley because that didn't really work but you see these spots and and Saturday was a good example where you have Javi out of the second game because he's not himself and you need him to get a breather after a rough first game uh, against Bauer and the Reds in that doubleheader and then you're in a spot where you need you know pinch hitters or a, a pinch hit spot maybe came up and who are you going to? You end up letting Almora take an at bat against a right handed pitcher and it went about as poorly as you would have expected that to, right? And you end up losing the game by a run that was sitting on third base with less than two outs. And so it just it, it it's it's really mind boggling and, and it, it sort of ties into what we were talking about uh with Azulay and and some of the other decisions to just sort of like hold on to some of these guys despite mounting evidence that it's just not working and they're not providing anything to you I just don't get what they're doing here um you know like you mentioned they keep using him as a pince runner if you go to baseball savant and look at the stat cast numbers Schwarber has a better sprint speed than Albert Almora and like you mentioned the uh Base running numbers, at least the metrics that are available on that, like Schwarber better. So I, I, I'm just not sure of what the point is, and and if the numbers and really the eye test doesn't suggest that he's like at the level that say Jason Hayward is in right field in center field. That's not how I when I see it. I I don't think that. I, I don't know if you feel that way. Just like looking at it, but I certainly don't think that. What what are we doing here? Like you have someone. Miller is the the person that we brought up a lot and that Evan brings up a lot because he represents an immediate elite level skill that this team doesn't have. You would have somebody on the bench that brings speed that you do not have anywhere else on this roster. You could deploy it as you see fit, right? Whether it's you know trying to get on base late in games, pinch running for guys, whatever it is, right? Almora does not bring any of those things, and continuing to let him take certain at bats and try these things, it it just is a complete waste. And again, like it's, he he seems like a great guy. It's it's never easy to have these conversations about guys like you said you know Theo's first pick this front office's first pick a guy that we've watched come up a guy that had a huge moment in the world series when the Cubs win the world series uh you know literally in game seven like a huge moment like you don't want to be having conversations about this but he's just not doing it on the baseball field guys like right now I'm not like right now with how he's playing he's not a major league baseball player right he should be in the minor leagues seeing if he can tap into something and then turn things around or whatever. But you don't have the opportunity to do that. And you're just wasting a roster spot. And it just is one of those things with this front office. Like I, there, There's just times, and this is one of them, where you feel like you're missing something that I just don't know what it is. I, 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 unless it really was, like you said, Evan, that he's their first pick and they just have that emotional attachment to him. I cannot believe that Theo Epstein watches like that at bat on Saturday, and is like, "Well, you know, he'll come around." Like, no, we got to keep him on the roster. I mean, it, it just looks terrible. It's looked terrible for a really long time. And you're you in a in a sixty game season, uh, especially when you've got uh, you know your former MVP is hurt. You've got Javi who's not performing and just doesn't seem right. You got to be killing it on those margins. You have to be churning and and always trying to maximize the roster. And and I think that's like the key phrase. It feels like over the past years, the Cubs have done a very poor job of maximizing every single spot that they have available to them on this roster. And you look at a a team like LA, who is, they'll put anybody on the IL and call anybody up, right, at the drop of a hat. They love doing it right and the Cubs just seem so averse to some of this stuff they leave guys on the bench even though they're hurt uh, until the very last minute to then admit that they need to go on the injured list we've been seeing that for years there's countless examples of that and they ride some of these guys despite just like mounting evidence it's just not gonna happen for them on the field And it it just gets a little frustrating, especially because we can't really make sense of some of it. Like we're looking at the data, we're looking at everything we possibly can, so that we're not sounding like meatball idiots when we're yelling about this stuff, right? But I don't know what the logic is. I can't believe that Almora is still on this roster and letting him get opportunities in high leverage spots at the plate is nuts. I, I mean, completely, completely nuts to me, Evan, but that's, I, I, I don't know any other way to make sense of it. You know, I'm, I'm happy that they've, they're going to try something here with Fegley and then, you know, we'll see what they do going forward, but just feels like they they take so long to make those efforts to maximize what they're working with. And it just it makes everything they're doing a lot
1: harder. Yeah, and and the, the part that bothers me in this situation, like this isn't and and the, of course, don't get me started on Daniel Descalso, uh, you know, who still is somehow on this roster, regardless of, of being on the IL, uh, the fake IL, you know, with the same ankle injury apparently that that he should have again he should have been put on far far earlier last year. But the the thing here is that it's not as if Almora will get, barring an injury to Ian Happ, at which point Jason Hayward should just move over to center and they could uh, you know, bring Souza back and put him in right. Um, Almora will not get regular plate appearances. It's not going to happen, period. And so at that point, his value's gone. His value is in being an everyday center fielder and being able to bring the glove on a regular basis. If he's only playing an inning or two every three or four games, there's no value in people. Oh, he's a great defense player. I don't care how good you are if you only play a few innings a week. That doesn't make any difference. So, like, on the one there's the one play that he might get to make every two weeks that another player couldn't, if that, like, there's, it's gone. Any value is mitigated by him now becoming a bench player because he doesn't hit lefties well. He doesn't hit righties well. He doesn't run. He doesn't hit for power. In the last, he has... So all three Cubs outfielders today hit two home runs. Uh, you know how how many bats or plate appearances you gotta go back with Almora to see his two home runs? I couldn't even get ninety one. <laughs> ninety one plate appearances. You have to go back to July twenty sixth of last year to get his to get two home runs. It's there's there's nothing there. And, and that's that's the inexplicable part to me, again, is that for a, for a front office that is as smart as they are, and and, and is not, you know, again, he, they they have other leaders. He's not improving this team by being on this roster, and that that's the problem that I have is Miller immediately brings a tangible skill that they it, like. I guarantee you, Ian Miller can bat two hundred, right? And that's that's not saying anything. That's saying nothing, but that's actually that would be thirty three points better than Almora's batting, so that would actually be pretty good. But, that, but that's the thing. If you're going to have a guy who you can't play in other situations, who you only deploy very specifically, why not have it be a guy who actually gives you a measurable improvement? Having Almora into pinch run is the dumbest thing I can imagine. It, it's, it's like, uh, it, it would be like having Derek Holland come in to pitch against Matt Wieters to turn him around to bat right-handed. It's that, that is, it It's is that dumb a strategic move. And it's it's just killing me. And that Weeder's thing, the the Derek Holland Weeder's thing, is like the dumbest move that that I keep coming no, up I with. And I hated that, that so there. much. Yeah. 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 And I know I'm sorry about that, but it but it but it keeps happening without more. Like it's, it's just, there's nothing about it. People, oh well, then he can come in for defense. If he can come in for defense without pinch running. You just make a defensive switch. Uh, and even that again, if if he's into like the other day, he was into run. Ideally, you're saying him being on base gives us a better chance of scoring a run than Kyle Schwarber being on base. Well, he didn't score the run. And even if he had, it would have put them up by four runs, at which point you don't need a better defensive replacement because if you can't hold them to five runs or to less than four runs, it doesn't matter. That means the pitcher's probably giving up homers, that he never would have stopped. I I just – I got to stop because I'm just going to keep – it, it, it. I. I don't get it. I cannot. There's no explanation for it. There's
0: not. Yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm with you. And I, and I think, especially too, like, and and this isn't just Almora. You know, there, there's other guys as well. Like, I think this is perhaps a different conversation if KB's healthy and Javi's playing at the level you expect him to, and and Wilson's not struggling. And, you know, like, you just have a more stable situation from top to bottom of the order. Maybe you can justify using some of those extra roster spots for different things, right? Like, even though I I still wouldn't do it, it still doesn't make sense to me. Again, I I will state pretty unequivocally that I just don't think Elmora is a Major League Baseball player uh, at this point. But, when you have so much that isn't going right and you're searching for answers in in certain spots on this offense you have to be trying to maximize things. And throwing a guy out there who hasn't been a good hitter for three years is crazy. It, it's just crazy. And you have to be more aggressive in trying different things. There, there's, there's, again, Miller is is the easy answer because he's, he's providing a skill you know has value and you know that he does at a really high level but even other guys like there's no guarantee if you brought up some of these other offensive names uh that are at South Bend or you know whatever like there's no guarantee that they'll be better but give it a shot right this hasn't worked for years <laughs> you know like it like almost just, literally yeah, can't be worse 60 game season you just don't have time to be waiting on things to just sort of magically be different. But again, I, this Evan and I are a bad combination for this because we could rail on this for really like hours. So uh, before we wrap up, and, and I'll handle Brendan's duty of uh, doing the pitching probables for this series with the Pirates that begins on Tuesday, uh, just quickly want to touch on um, the bullpen in a general sense. We've been kind of ending each episode uh, with just kind of looking at the bullpen and, and seeing what's going on there. I, I don't know that that much has changed um, in the the last few days. Obviously, we talked about, you know, Quintana's situation. and We talked about Adbear uh, a little bit. Um, but the thing that I would just like to say, uh, because we've all been talking about this, when we were talking about Kimbrell being taken down as the closer and charting his progress and noting that there were positive trends and that he was making progress, etc., here, here's where the error was. And again, I know that it was a doubleheader. I know that a lot of guys had pitched and you know sometimes you just end up in that spot. But the progress that Kimbrell was making the trends that we were talking about, him starting to get whiffs on the curveball, him being able to locate the curveball, him being able to locate that fastball, the fastball velo sticking at 97, 98, right? That progress was towards him being a usable member of this bullpen. Three outings of good progress— was not, in my mind, apparently, you know, perhaps the Cubs and their brass did not agree with this, but in my mind, that progress was definitely not toward him being trusted again in literally the highest leverage spots. That was crazy to me, Evan, that he was given a save opportunity and A, after they let Almora take that at bat with a runner on third and less than two outs, and then trusting Kimbrell and giving him the leash that they did. I don't even care who was behind him, right? Or who was left in the bullpen. Giving him that spot is insane, and they deserved to lose that game. And you can, again, you can point to doubleheader, four games in the series. It is who it is, it is what's available it's to me, it's making excuses. I don't care if you want to lay the blame at Napoli, who was you know technically the manager at that point. I don't care if you want to na- lay it at Ross for how you know, for maybe uh, taking some of the pitchers out too early in the game or whatever was going on or Napoli for taking them out, whatever if you want to look at the front office for. Uh, the bullpen that they've built and you know the the guys that are in there and that's how it all played out. I, I literally don't care. You can't have him pitching in close games. Their obsession with letting Craig Kimbrell blow or get close to blowing games for this team since he's come over is insane to me. I get that he costs a lot of money. I know who he is I know what his pedigree is I get it right but to see what you did from him earlier in this season and take, what was it, three outings, four outings of of progress and immediately thrust him back in there insane and you deserve to lose. I I mean, I'm watching that game going, you guys are going to get what you deserve. I hate it and I'm going to be mad about it, but like, what am I going to say about this game? You know, you already watched him do this against this (laughs) same exact Reds team. It's like, it was crazy to me. So I just wanted to make sure I got that out there uh, that was nuts, Evan.
1: Yeah. And, you know, what was weird is that if you, of course, baseball, again, is a, it's a results oriented sport. The result is, at the end of the day, all that really matters. And even at times, you know, Kimbrel's process is shit. But, but it was, he got four swinging strikes on the curveball. And prior to, I forget what, it was the outing right before that that he got sw- three swinging strikes on the curveball, which to that point, he had only gotten three swings, period, at the curveball. So I, I think, I think it, was, it was the outing prior to this one. So he got three total swings, I think two whiffs, one or two whiffs, in in like seven outings. And then he got three, and uh, it was against the White Sox, I think he got three swings and misses. So he got four swings and misses. The only problem was on the fourth one, it went five hole on Wilson Contreras, and a run came home and he and he had thrown a couple wild pitches. I mean, it's just he had looked so and he hit ninety nine in the game as well. So there were so many things you just look at, you think, okay, but the 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 problem is I don't think he is in there with the process enough. He he's up there cutting that stuff loose, and it feels like Dylan Maples to an extent, where like, God, the stuff is there, just nobody knows where it's going. And that's not a guy that you can trust in those situations. As I don't care how good the stuff is. If you can't do it consistently, like the 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 game he had against the Cardinals that looked real like when he froze, uh he, he froze uh who was it? Um Colton Wong. Yeah, I think with so. the fastball late, like he was located like that was that was vintage Craig Kimbrell. Curveball was in the zone, fastballs high, and then he he busted him high, and then he just came in with one and just zipped it on the zone. But on the corner of the zone but he did not know where that was going and it was like like a, a switch flipped and he's just like walk walk and it was but it was wild cuz it's one thing to be missing the zone it's another thing to just throw it all over the place and and you know he got no help the umpire had a bad call on the on the ball for to, to castianos i think that could have maybe changed things up but i it's it's again you, you can't let yourself – I, you know, I'm a Little League coach, and these kids complain about when I'll call them up for, for strike three, right, on a third strike. It's like, well, don't let yourself get to that situation and you won't have to worry about it. So the same thing. Don't tell me that Jefferson isn't available and Wick's not available because they already pitched. Don't put yourself in a situation yeah. to have yeah. to use Craig Kimbrell. He needs. He he cannot be the last guy in your bullpen. He can't be. If you want to use him, you got to use him earlier. Use him when you use Wick. Right, and then let Wick close. Like that's that's the problem. And and I think eventually can he be the closer again? Yeah, he he, he can, but he's not right now, and he can't be trusted with that. So you you have to put him in a situation where you can put someone else in who you trust in that situation. So again, um, uh, you know, maybe that's Napoli, uh, not knowing what the hell he's doing, uh, you know, and and just just crapping his pants late. But God, that was like you said, it was telling. I mean, he. You had to kind of know I was like, man, this feels really good. Oh, there's not. Oh, shit. Well, and there's there's a, a wild pitch and yay, there's another run. So I don't know, man, it's frustrating, but I do take I do take heart in the fact that he touched 99 yeah. and, the, and the curve was actually getting people to swing at it. So he's fixed something that, that he's actually getting people to swing at his curve. Uh, now he just needs to not throw it five feet wide at the catcher and then it'd be great.
0: Yeah, I, I think that there's 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 a middle ground, right? And that's what was so frustrating about Saturday is that, you know, those first few outings of this year, you know, especially coming off how he was in 2019, were unusable. Like, you can't use this guy until something gets figured out because he, these guys are just pumping hundred mile plus rockets off the bat, or he's nowhere near the zone and they're just sitting on his fastball. So there was a reason that, you know, over at Cubs Insider, we're tracking his progress and we're noting, hey, this is getting better. This is getting better. This is getting better. And on this podcast, we've been talking about that. But what what is just I can't live with is just making that leap from oh okay you know this is trending the right direction throw him back out there in a one run game like no 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 like I don't know how many outings you would have needed to see for that but like just, just like just be a little slower with the the process right okay this is going the right direction we can use him in spots with this bullpen he's you know the velo's there the stuff is getting better the location's getting better okay we can you know put him as part of this bullpen in that circle of trust maybe even if he's at the bottom but you know making that ultimate leap like as if him wick and jeffress are the only people no matter what that you can consider for a save spot it's, it's just nuts I, I mean it's just crazy and in a 60 game season you just can't be doing it like there just was not enough there to turn the ball over to him in that spot again given the all this evidence in his Cubs career that this is just not really a good idea right now. Like, just a little more patience with the progress is, is what I was asking for, as opposed to just being like, oh, he's been good there, you know, like, let's get him back out. Like, come on. I, I mean, no. No, 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 no. They deserve it. I mean, really, they deserve that loss. Uh, they really only got back in that game uh, on that error, I think, by Castellanos. So they, they didn't really even deserve to be in it at that point. And then they made sure that, you know, they, they did not earn that win uh, by a couple of the decisions there. So it is what it is. But uh, yeah, I was not about to let this podcast go without expressing how pissed off I was that we were trying that again as if that ending wasn't literally the most predictable thing in the world. But let me uh, go through these uh, probables for the pirates, and then we will wrap things up here. On Tuesday, these will be coming to you from PNC Park in Pittsburgh. It'll be John Lester, who is two and 2-1 with a 4.55 ERA, going against Chad Cool of the Pittsburgh Pirates. He is a right-hander, and he is sporting a 2.52 ERA on the season. On Wednesday, it will be Kyle Hendricks, who is three and 3-4 with a 4.09 ERA after that start in Cincinnati, going against the aforementioned uh, Derek Holland who is a lefty with a 7.62 ERA, going to jump right ahead of this one. If the Cubs lose to Derek Holland, the next podcast is going to be filled with expletives. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> warning you guys, especially because when you watch games on MLB TV that show that grand slam uh, that Harper hit every single commercial break, I cannot stand Derek Holland. So they better hit him on Wednesday. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and then the finale on Thursday, we've got a TBD for the Cubs, at least listed there on the MLB app. And it will be a righty Brewbaker for the Pirates sporting a 4.5 ERA heading into the contest. So off day on Monday. Again, we'll keep an eye on the trade deadline. Uh, the Cubs also picking up A.J. Ramos, uh, who hasn't pitched in a while, was let go by the Dodgers, uh, a guy who at, at a time had a very nasty changeup, but not really sure Uh, I would be counting on anything there. But another guy you can, you know, maybe throw in South Bend, see what he's got uh, and just add him to the pile of relievers. We'll keep an eye on the trade deadline. Uh, But Evan, uh, first, any parting uh, thoughts as it relates to uh, this series with the Reds or looking ahead to this series with the Pirates? And then as always, uh, please tell us as as a, as a, as if I don't read the website uh, at the, within the first ten words of this podcast every time, uh, but you are involved in some other projects, so let the audience know where they can find you and what
1: you would like to direct their attention to. Sure i i i don't uh, I don't have much to say. You know, it's um i've I, I give a personal plug here really quick and and something that's really cool. Uh, I've been riding my bike a lot because the the you know the pandemic shut down all the gyms and then. Uh, I, I don't feel comfortable going back to Planet Fitness at, at this point in time. Uh, so I've been riding my bike a lot. And I rode my bike 35 miles yesterday. And, uh, and I want to point this out. it's it kind of fun. By sharing this on social media, I've gotten a, f- a few folks kind of uh, spurred to do the same. Uh, one who, of whom you mentioned, uh, MLB.com Cubs beat writer Jordan Bastion, a friend of mine. Uh, like a legitimate friend of mine, not like a friend of the program type thing. Uh, so he, he's been riding a lot. So he and I will uh, share our rides and, and, and he had gone over the hundred mile mark on Saturday morning. And, uh, and I was only at 66 miles in a week and I was like, damn, I'm not going to make a hundred. And then I got out, I said, damn it, you know what? I'm, I'm going to get there. So I got to my 35 miles and, uh, and it was kind of funny because Jordan then, uh, tweeted later just kind of a thanks to me for, for spurring him on in that. And it actually made the feed of the, uh, of the Cubs, the game day app, uh, which I thought the app, bad app, which I thought was kind of, kind of funny. Uh, but it, but it does go to speak for, um, the, the fact that I don't really have anything to say because i was so damn dead tired today. I didn't even watch the game. My son had a couple games. I'm just looking forward to the Cubs beating the hell out of the pirates and me having the chance to maybe listen to that on on my bike ride. But that was part of what I was thinking is just, uh, some, some things as bad as social media sometimes gets and as toxic as it can be, it has been kind of neat. Uh, to see some of that stuff and to kind of share some things with people and to, and to feel that I'm being motivated by and doing some motivation for other people in that regard. Uh, so that is not something that comes up very frequently in my other projects, but I do uh, obviously uh, write quite frequently for Cubs Insider. And then um, got my, my little web series on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, generally at 3.30 Central Called the rant. It's a live video show that you can find on our our Facebook page at Cubs Insider. You can find it on the Cubs Insider YouTube page, and uh, and you know if you if you're bored and you want to go to YouTube and, and watch some of our old highlight videos and see some stuff from the Cubs in spring training uh, of of the past, you can go there as well. So I'm all over the place, and uh, you know generally uh, if I'm not doing this, then I'm probably riding my bike.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, As always, Evan, thank you for filling in for Brendan. Uh, He will appreciate, and we're not going to do it, uh, but he will appreciate that there were no... uh, you know, blacklisted names uttered uh, on this podcast. Derek Holland is not necessarily a friend of this show, but he's not on Brendan or I's uh, particular. Please don't talk about this player uh, on my podcast list. So I I think he'll appreciate that. But uh, thank you for that. As always, we will be back with you as soon as the Cubs wrap up their series with the Pirates. Uh, You can find Evan. He is D. Evan Altman on Twitter. That is pretty much what we have for you today. Again, one last time, if something massive happens uh, with the Cubs as it relates to the trade deadline. We will do an emergency podcast as we have done in the past. I think Evan was on for the emergency podcast with Craig Kimbrell. Uh, things sort of come full circle somehow. Don't go listen to that and, and uh, <laughs> hold us to whatever opinions that we said on that podcast. Please don't do that. Um, maybe I'll have Brendan delete that actually. But uh, anyway, we'll come back to you after the Cubs wrap up their series with the Pirates, after they hopefully bludgeon. Derek Holland out of the game nice and early and hopefully, uh, you know, get back to their series winning ways. But other than that, thank you for listening to the Cubs Related Podcast. And as always, we end with Go Cubs!
1: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings.